Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for the wonderful privilege it is to know you, that you care about your people, that you love them, that as we gather here this morning, your spirit is directing us, guiding us, allowing us to understand that which you have revealed in your word. We thank you that you have been ever pleased to allow Proclamation Presbyterian Church to thrive and grow. And we ask for your continued blessing upon it. And we ask that uh, while we're gathered here this morning, that you would guide us and strengthen us and make us ever more useful in your kingdom and for your glory. We thank you in the beautiful name of Jesus. Amen. So, how about naming the first and ten commandments of God? First commandment. Right? And the tenth? Thou shalt not covet, or should not covet. And it's interesting, years ago when I was teaching a, uh, or facilitating a class on the Constitution of the United States, it, it hit me in a similar way, this may be odd, I, I thought it was pretty interesting, of how the, the first, the Ten Commandments relate a little bit to the first ten amendments to our Constitution. And the first and tenth of each have a bit of corresponding understanding. And the two greatest commandments, what, do we, what, is, what did Jesus tell us and what was given to us in the Old Testament are the two greatest commandments? Love God. Love one another. And what? And love one another. Love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love our neighbor as ourselves. Yes. Um, how about the preamble to the United States Constitution? Anyone have that in their, not, not memorized, but just in general? How does it start? But then what's the other The Declaration of Independence starts in the course of human events. So what's the Constitution start? You know the thing. <laughs> Keep going, Sean. What? Promotes the common defense. Provides. I don't remember all of it. That's good. I'll just read it here. I haven't memorized. At one time, I memorized it with my kids. We, the people of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare and secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity, do ordain and establish the Constitution of the United States. How about the preamble to the Constitution of Pennsylvania? That's a little bit more obscure, but better. Listen to this. I just learned about it in this last year. We, the people of the, of the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, grateful to Almighty God for the blessings of civil and religious liberty, and humbly invoking his guidance, do ordain and establish the Constitution. Gives me chills. Just, we in Pennsylvania have an extraordinary religious heritage that I knew a little bit about, but as I've been working in this ministry, I've become to go, this is truly amazing. William Penn if you go into the state capitol, I'm hoping to start on a regular basis, 
inviting tours and organizing those. Uh, our state capitol is very open. It's beautiful, and it's filled with all types of scripture and wonderful quotes. And here's, if you walk into the rotunda, it's not easy to see, but it is at the capstone. If you look all the way to the top of the rotunda, you have to stand pretty much in the middle, and going around in these letters that are probably about that tall. They don't look that tall because they're pretty far up. But here's what's written there. It goes all the way around. There may be room there for such a holy experiment, speaking of Pennsylvania, for the nations want a precedent. And my God will make it the seed of a nation, that an example may be set up to the nations, that we may do the thing that is truly wise and just. William Penn, back in the late 1600s and into the 1700s, was convicted that Pennsylvania was to be a leader in the nation in spiritual development and growth. Um, so they said he actually would bet that his that Pennsylvania would outwork other states yeah. because of the Christian influences. You know, that right. Time. It was a state of great tolerance for all types, all types that were seeking to worship God and live their lives in accordance with their religious beliefs. Let me take you, oh, uh, summarize the First Amendment to the United States Constitution. There's a whole bunch. Yeah, speech. Assembly. What? Yes. The Establishment Clause, the United States federal government should not and cannot and is not ever to establish religion, but to protect the free exercise thereof. Freedom of the press. press. And there might be one more. I didn't list them down. But anyway, those freedoms that we believe, our founders believe, were given to us by God, and they should be protected by our government, our civil government, and particularly in this case. How about the Tenth Amendment? This is where I thought it was pretty interesting of the uh, a bit of bookends to our the Ten Commandments. And, uh, yes? All powers not delegated to the federal government nor prohibited to the states are reserved to the states for the people respectively. Yes. Amen. Yes. <laughs> Excellent. And the, the foundation of that is that um, as relates to our federal government and with even every civil government, it is limited. It is limited by that which I believe God has revealed and by that which we as its citizens give over. And that's a bit of what's been lost in the last hundred plus years in our nation. There's still a, a framework of it to a, de- a good degree. And part of what ministry to state is seeking to do is to individually, legislature, legislator, and uh, support staff, one by one, to bring the fullness of God in his revelation in Christ to them, to see that kind of change. Looking at the the brochure here, I'd like to
take you through that, and then I forget to get my own copy of these outlines. If, you, if some of you haven't gotten any of these, they're over here. Oh, there it is. In the, I gave a book to the elders, and uh, if you're real nice, they might loan it to you at some point if you'd like to read it. The copies are extremely limited. Uh, there's, there's a look to do another printing, but it's called Rulers, and it's written by the, president, the executive director of this ministry, Chuck Garriott, and I highly recommend uh, reading it. But he was uh, childhood friends with Johnny Erickson Tata. Most of us know who she is. And he asked her if she would write the introduction to his book. And in so doing, she encapsulated. And to my neglect, I have yet to memorize it, but I, I, I love it. I think she says it as best as anyone could have ever said of what ministry to state is. The whole idea behind ministry to state is totally incongruent with politics as usual. It builds relationships not to receive something, gain favor, push an agenda, glad hand, or seek a vote. Rather, it's about giving and caring about individuals who know what it feels like to be used. What better way to shake gospel salt or shine Christ's light into America's political culture? That's what we're trying to do with ministry to state. Looking at a little bit of the background, I'm going to hold off on this because it doesn't have the background. This is a brochure that I hand out to potential supporters and those interested in the ministry. But as a, a background here, when I get a, a longer time to present, we're going to go ahead and look. I'll just give you a little background of the history of ministry at a state. It was back in 1993. Chuck Garriott, our executive director, was a pastor at a church in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. And during a time of sabbatical, he was able to go over to South Africa and was able to teach and preach in that locale. But while he was there, in the midst of doing what he was doing at a, a biblical institute and local churches, there was the St. James Massacre. I had never heard of it. Anyone hear of the St. James Massacre in South Africa? Well, there were quite a number of people that were killed, uh, 11 worshipers and seriously injuring, in, in, injuring 50 more. And he took some look at that from a, started believing by the Holy Spirit that was starting to get him to think about the effect of civil government upon a culture, how it acts. And there we had a culture of apartheid, some bad theology that was moving, particularly within the Dutch Reformed Church at that time down there in South Africa, of differentiating people simply by their skin color or where they were born. Then in 1995, while he was there in Oklahoma, just a couple miles or so away from the federal building that was bombed by Timothy McVeigh, um, he saw the government react in a more productive manner, that their people called in to care for. He saw a rallying of the of the visible church in Oklahoma City in cooperation with the government officials there in Oklahoma City. And he started to wonder what could happen 
Both experiences provided an opportunity to view government from a different perspective, Chuck said. In Oklahoma City, he saw government engage in a form of mercy ministry in a time of great violence. I witnessed how government can impact its constituents in a time of need and how the faith of government leaders can impact policies significantly. This would ultimately influence my view of government and my call to ministry. He started leading a weekly Bible study there in 1995, gathered the attention of the governor, Frank Keating. Chuck read Modern Times by Paul Johnson. He started visit, uh, uh, had a startling visit to Hungary. He began to wonder if God was grieving over the world in his generation. And he asked this question, what is the role of the Christian community of the church within nation's geographic government centers? Can the church be a gospel presence within government centers in our nation and in the world? So at the uh, hesitancy but support of his lo the local session in the congregation in the midst of a thriving ministry there in Oklahoma City, they did not want him to leave, but he and his wife and a couple of their kids um, left their four- or five-bedroom house in the suburbs of Oklahoma City and moved to a two-bedroom row house in Washington, D.C., and experienced quite a bit of culture shock. But they were supported, and he wanted to establish a smart ministry. And the essence and a big challenge of ministry to state is we're not invited. Much like a, uh, but not completely the same as an RUF, we go on campus of the Capitol only by invitation. As we develop relationships, it's a lot of cold calling. Um, it can be, as you would hear, the testimonies of the, the seven other state capital ministers and the five that are in Washington, D.C. at this point. It is extremely challenging. And on my front, I hesitated. I was approved four, four years ago, I counted it, to, to go and do this. They wanted me to start this ministry, but it was, uh, it was a hemming and hauling. Uh, I knew that I was going into an area of great sin um, amongst some significantly powerful people, um, and I wasn't sure if God could really use me in that environment. But then he convinced me that, not that I'm qualified or I am the most capable of doing it, but I'm willing. And that's where he, he took me. I'm willing to go, Lord, if you want to use me there. And one of the, the best advices I got recently as I was oh, lamenting and struggling within this, it's, a, it's quite a significant spiritual battle that is going on. And one person that was close to me said, Ron, just, just be yourself. You don't have to be someone else in doing this ministry. Just be yourself. And being someone who cares. We are there to care about those who, on a personal basis, who are involved in our civil government. So a ministry where the good news of Jesus Christ and its benefits are intentionally and winsomely taken into the work or marketplace for the glory of God and the furthering of your kingdom. It is much like what many of you do when you go off to work or when you're living in your communities. What we're called to do, and some of us may be hesitant at times to do that and lament of where we have missed opportunities, 
But in, in one way, it's not a whole lot different what I'm trying to do with ministry to state of what you're seeking to do in your communities and your workplace is simply to be salt and light, Amen. to speak the truth of God and show his love. That's what we're looking to do one person at a time and to see what results God's going to bring about that. What happened? I, I, I can go off onto some other things. I just better follow this for the time being. What happened? Relationships were developed with congressional members and their staffs on Capitol Hill that expanded into Bible studies, prayer breakfasts, and dinner forums. He wrote several books that are listed there, the rulers I've given you a copy of. Chuck summarizes the importance of ministry to state's work by saying, we have good reasons to be concerned for those who govern and those who serve them. Although we have no kings in our country, leaders in positions of power and influence can bring great blessing, like light after the night or lush green vegetation after rain. They can serve their constituents well and thus further a vibrant and growing community. They can help improve the economy and bring employment to a city or improve the health of families. They have the responsibility to be concerned with acts of mercy and can make a difference to those in need. If you could just picture with me for a moment, imagine a community where more and more people, a civil government, where more and more of those that we have elected into office are abiding by the Constitution that we have of the state of Pennsylvania, Commonwealth, or the United States of America, and that they're interested in being faithful to God as best as they understand in their commitment to his glory, in making decisions that are not just for a special interest group or their own advantage, but for the blessing and benefit of those whom they have been elected to serve and represent. They don't see themselves in a high position. They see themselves in a servant position that they have been called and sent to Harrisburg or to Washington to serve, not to be served. In a similar way, one of the things that the fir one of the first members of our house that I, I met, Brett Miller, some of you might know his name. He is an, a, a, a very delightful man and someone if you can pray for. He's here in Lancaster County, a member of our house. And his first, he didn't come back to the prayer group that I was a part of. I stopped going. Uh, but he first came, it, it was a, a, a very, very heavy um, charismatic, using that general term. And there was, um, I think, a, a number of unbiblical types of praying going on in the midst. But it did help me to get to know some people there in Harrisburg and to start off. But Brett Miller, he didn't come back, and he didn't participate in the same way that others were. But his prayer request has stuck with me from that very first prayer time. He says, please, please pray for our pastors that they will preach truly the word of God and that people will be strengthened in the Christian community. And the reason he said that was because he saw that the kind of people we elect is dependent upon the kind of people we are. Amen. And that's what he said. That's what can bring change. Bring change that is towards the glory of God, not the glory of man. And so 
um, that was the significance. If we had that kind of scenario, it'd be a whole lot different. Just like when we have good leaders within a church, the people rejoice. If we had a heavy-handed leaders in this congregation, it would not be the kind of place that it is today. A verse that has been instrumental in ministry to state is from Psalm 138, 4 and 5. May all the kings, or government leaders in this, in this case, of the earth praise you, O Lord, when they hear the words of your mouth. May they sing of the ways of the Lord, for the glory of the Lord is great. And scripture reminds us of many accounts in which God's people, equipped with the good news of Jesus Christ, engaged with those in positions of power, the impact of unleashing the truth of God in a government center has enormous potential for the promotion of healthy communities and nations. Ministry to state is advancing the church's reach into those government communities. When one rules over people in righteousness, when he rules in the fear of God, he is like the lightning of morning at sunrise on a cloudless morning, like the brightness after the rain that brings grass upon the earth. And then the third page is also in the brochure. And so let me take a moment and direct our attention to the brochure here for a time. looking here at state government now, particularly, is a hallmark feature of American civil politics. If you remember, again, like we talked in looking at our nation's establishment of a federal government, it was making sure that the states that were in, in establishment at that point would have what they had. And there was a relinquishing of authority and power to the federal government, but never for the federal government to be over the state government in all things. And that has been lost, something that we can pray for, that there are those that still understand that and are, are governing that way. But the, the uh, federal government has its responsibilities that are outlined in the, the Constitution of the United States. And as we saw in the the 10th Amendment to the Constitution is that they, those of the states and those of the individuals are to be protected except that which they have given to the federal government. Um, so the hallmark feature of American civil politics, though one nation, each state is unique and faces its own set of circumstances and issues. Through its ministry, MTS Capitals engages public servants in different spheres with the universal truth of the gospel recognizing the plurality of beliefs and doubts in our culture and considering them in light of the story of historic Christianity. One of the critical questions that we need to ask, and I think it's valuable for us in each sphere, wherever we are engaged, in our communities, in our jobs, that we can be who we are in Christ. We can proclaim within the elements of which we are engaged. If we're at work, there's time that we have to do our work. That's what we're being paid for. That's what our, such as a, wherever we have that freedom, we don't have to stop being who we are and what we know. 
we are the keepers that God has given to us, that understanding of his truth that he has revealed in his word. And we can speak that. It won't necessarily be well received, but at times it will be. For each of us, it was spoken to us in some capacity. And by God's grace, we saw it for what it is, as his spirit moved. We don't know when and where that's going to occur, but we don't have to. We just need to be faithful and ask God to enable us to be faithful. The critical question is, can the church be a gospel presence within government centers in our nation and world? If followers of Jesus Christ were more engaged, could we be more influential? While there is a valuable place for Christian individuals and organizations to influence policy and laws according to their concerns, we are convinced that shaping policy is not our calling. And that's a distinction between the ministry to state and the Pennsylvania um, Family Institute. We work with them. I know Mark Weaver. He's the coordinator for um, the uh, in pastors and churches and does a, a wonderful job, and they do a great thing. And they will do individual connections, but they're, they're looking to see and help churches to change policy. And that's okay. We're just not doing that similar. We're looking, we're looking on the long run, the long end, the changing of people. We're simply being disciplers and evangelists going into our, our civil government locations, not going over to Nigeria or to the inner city of Nashville or whatever, wherever as missionaries. We're going to our city or state and national governments. MTS is drawn by the need for the body of Christ to engage those who serve in our civil government on a personal basis for their benefit in the good news of Jesus Christ. And there's a little bit about me. And some of the things that we are doing and seeking to do are listed here on the third panel. Traveling throughout PA, I have been from, I'll be going next week, um, won't be here, but I'll be, uh, I gotta remember where I am. I'll be in Harrisburg, um, preaching and presenting about ministry to state at uh, Second City, one of the churches in our presbytery. Uh, the first weekend in November, I'll be out in Pittsburgh. Our furthest west presbytery is called Ascension. There are two out in Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh's Presbytery and Ascension. So I'll be within a stone's throw almost of the Ohio border. But I'll be out there for a weekend. Um, presenting, and hopefully being in many other churches around the, uh, the state. Um, so regularly con contacting senators um, through phone calls. I've sent personal letters. I'm in the process of faxing um, each and every member of our General Assembly. That's what we call our Congress. We don't call it a Pennsylvania Congress. It's the General Assembly. Sometimes in our PCA uh, environment, it sounds a little confusing because our large group within the PCA, our national, is called the General Assembly. And so it gets a little confusing. But we have 100 senators, one of the largest in this nation, and we have 203 members of our House of Representatives. So that's 303 members of our, of our General Assembly. 
I believe it's in the top 10 or might be in the top five. I haven't checked those statistics of the size. <coughs> to correspond that, we have a, a state capital minister who's out in Montana. And uh, our, our uh, General Assembly really essentially meets all year long. They take some recesses. Um, in Montana, it's a much smaller. The population of Montana is about the size maybe a little larger than Baltimore, Maryland. They have a lot of cattle out there, a lot of space. Their General Assembly or their Congress only meets every two years. They meet in Helena, the capital. Now, he's been out there since 2014. His name is Steve Bostrom. Wonderful man. And since 2014 to now, it has taken him that time. He is now been appointed to be the um, chaplain of the Senate. Now, when they meet, and they meet consistently for, I think it's two to three months, he is given, given the opportunity to provide a prayer before each of the sessions of when they gather. And it's taken time. He's been out there for eight years. And it's taken out. He's been involved in a Bible study, and it was just recently he was asked to lead it. He just attended we have a fellow in Colorado, uh, Del Ferris, and he simply goes, started visiting. Um, it's a much um, more population, but it's a smaller. They're presbytery. I should give you an idea. That's what I wanted to say. They're presbytery. Our presbytery goes up to State College, west to Chambersburg, and east to, say, just Chester County, uh, Cochranville. Their presbytery includes Montana. Colorado, and one other state that's out there. Is it Utah, maybe? But it's a huge space. There aren't as many PCA churches out there. So his opportunity to be funded is a bit more challenging with those. Um, but he simply goes, and has had great success, he simply goes to committee meetings. They're open to the public. Very few public people go, unless it's something very specific of their interest. And he sits in and he starts to develop relationships. Mm -hmm. And we have a fellow in North Carolina, uh, uh, Darren Stone. He's probably doing the best of any of the folks right now. And uh, a dynamic young man, um, young family, and uh, was a political science major in, in college and was a pastor for several years in the PCA. And uh, he's established some relationships. One of the relationships he's established was simply the first day he shows up at the campus of the Capitol, and there was a new person that had just been elected. It was his, his first day in the Capitol. And he knew nothing. There's no preparation. They, they say, come, and then there's orientation. Like the first year as a freshman in high school to get orientation. They are told nothing unless someone prepped them ahead of time. So this guy didn't even know where to go. He didn't know where the house chambers were. So he met Darren, and Darren knew that much and showed him where the, uh, the house chambers are, and they've been friends since. When I met Brian um, Cutler, he is the uh, Senate Majority Leader. Is he still the Senate Majority Leader? Do you know? I think so. No. He's House. He's, house. He, he's the, yeah, um, he's the house, speaker. house Speaker. Speaker of the House. And 
he tells the story when we went to visit him. That was through Mark Weaver. I got to visit a number of these representatives in their districts. Right after the primaries, they all were back in their districts with a sigh of relief. Some, they're done. They, they were not, they didn't make it through the elections. Others, they did. And uh, one of the things he said that's being lost, was lost with COVID, was when the a class would come in, the newly elected members of the House or the newly elected members of the Senate, they all go through their orientation together, and whether they're Democrat, Independent, or Republican, they develop a friendship that helps in working through things in the days and years to come. With COVID, he, they didn't have that. They weren't together. So we have some classes that are in the House and in the Senate that are not colleagues in that kind of sense. They don't know each other. And both he and Scott Martin, who is this, is he still the Speaker of the House? I'm not sure. You say no? Brian Cutler, Speaker. No, no, I'm, uh, Scott Martin. Yeah, he's also in Lancaster. So in Lancaster, we had the Speaker of the House and the Senate Majority Leader at one point. I, I'm not sure if he, he kept that. Um, but he was noticing the same types of changes and asking us for prayer and that, that there was a, a drop in decorum, a more of a uh, barbarian type of, uh, of attitude in action, where the Senate is supposed to be the place where the, the tempers settle. There is deliberation. There is thoughtfulness. The House is where they can be a little bit riotous at times. That's okay. There's more of them there, and they're there only for two terms, I mean, for two years in a term, and so they're, they're closer, and it's okay. But the Senate is the ones that, is this a good idea to, to sit back and go? You know, it's sort of like a dad with kids coming up, and, or dad and mom, and, and say, this is a great idea. What should we do? And with wisdom and understanding, they go, now wait a minute. There's some things we need to consider here that maybe we haven't, and so it slows it down. And he's saying some of that's being lost because of, of what is happening. Um, let me take you through just our vision here. We have a, a few minutes left, and uh, it's in the back, the vision and mission statement. The gospel, worldview, conscience, church, and prayer. We are, I hope you've gathered so far, we are seeking to bring the good news of Jesus Christ in a very um, fleshly manner through relationships, through loving and caring, regardless of a person's political affiliation or their religious ideas, that I am there to care and love for those that would like to have a friend and someone who is going to care for them. We are looking to help those, first of all, that are there as followers of Christ to be able to bring more clearly and fully in their work a consistency to that which they believe, to help them sort through some of those issues. We'd like to become the experts, particularly in the PCA and others, that are understanding how we can do this. I still have a lot to learn, but it's, it's been a good, a good process. Um, a conscience. We are looking through a personal evangelism and discipleship to see God change the conscience of our civil government in Pennsylvania. And it is my prayer and my hope that the PCA in Pennsylvania, we have over 130 churches, 
in the PCA, eight presbyteries, seven are English speaking, and there's one that's Korean, that's a part of a larger presbytery of the East Coast, um, over in the east part of Philadelphia, um, that we would be at the front of engaging the whole of our culture, not holding back from engagement within our civil government. The church, part of the job that I have is to connect. That's a little harder communicating and understanding. Most of the times we send missionaries off to other places. And they're doing that work over there. We keep in touch with them. We're glad for what they're doing. But it, we, we send maybe some people periodically to support, help them over summer. Maybe someone that goes for an extended short-term mission trip. But it's, it's another part of the world. It's not quite as connected to us as it. But MTS is desiring to engage and be a help to every congregation within the state of Pennsylvania. That's a big scope. I'm starting with just the PCA right now, 130 plus churches, that to be assisting and helping each congregation in your local area and for those that have the opportunity within the state level in Harrisburg. But each of those representatives and senators, they come home. They have offices in their districts. And we live in those districts. I'm in the process of preparing a map of all the PCA churches in Pennsylvania and where they relate to the district offices of the members of our General Assembly. And working to systematically informing those churches of who they are and how they might be engaged with them on a personal level. Now, as constituents, you can go and say, hey, I, I really think you should vote for this, or I don't think you should vote for that. This is how we need help here. What, what, can, you, what, can, we, what can be done? To see that we have a significant unreached mission field right in our midst within our civil government that has impact upon us. But in all of that, it is not going, our hope and our confidence is in changing our civil government. The same way, our hope and our confidence isn't in changing and getting the decisions we want for the people that we engage in our daily lives. But it is desiring to be obedient and leaving the results to God. What can we do differently than maybe what we've done in the past? And leaving the results to God. Because he is our hope, regardless of what he chooses. And that became very evident to us that we're at the men's retreat when we looked again at the book of Habakkuk. It was a wonderful time of restudying that book, really at a very timely period, really in all of history. What are we doing before God? And whatever judgment he brings, whatever justice he establishes, that should not affect us. We are still desiring to be faithful to him, no matter what the circumstances are. As Habakkuk, at the end of that book, wonderfully declared that whether there's two cars in my garage, whether the, all my family is healthy, or whether I have a job that is providing beyond our expectations, if none of that's there, I will still praise God for what he has done and who he is. 
and accept that. So, and prayer. It's definitely not last and it's not least. It is at the foundation. So we have that at the bottom of that list because it is the foundation upon which everything else rests. One of the things based on what Brett Miller talked to me about has greatly influenced my actions is I now pray regularly and I'm working on a brochure just like this. I now have it on a sheet of paper. I'm looking for a brochure like this of all eight presbyteries in, in Pennsylvania, in the PCA, a listing of as many elders and deacons as I can get off the website and as I visit, that we are praying. There's probably nothing more important that you could do than to pray for your leaders here at Proclamation and within the state. And then to be praying for, once you get to know who they are, the representatives that are in your area, where, where you live, and praying for them, not just as entities, but as people. These are real flesh people. They have the same struggles, in many cases, much more significant. It's hard to comprehend the pressure that they are under and how much they cannot trust most anybody in their life. Chuck Garriott tells the story of, I don't remember what time frame it was, but it was a little more early on in his work at, in Washington. And Washington, my oldest daughter, uh, has been working in Washington. She's now at the White House. Uh, talks about breakfast, lunch, and dinner. <laughs> They're always business meetings. And someone could fill their entire calendar seven days a week with breakfast, lunch, and dinners in talking business. And then there's the parties that go on afterwards. And it's always people are working, people are churning to get what they hope to get from someone. Find them in a vulnerable position where they might agree, or in a compromising position, that they're doing something they shouldn't do, they're caught in it, it's tucked in the pocket and said, I won't tell anybody, but I need your help on this, and such. So Chuck's sitting down in... Uh, Washington, D.C., having lunch with this fella. And they're having a great conversation. At one point, the, the gentleman says to Chuck, um, Chuck, what is it that you're interested in? Uh, what can I do for you? And Chuck said, there's nothing. I'm just here for you. I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying our conversation. The fella goes, I'm enjoying it. It's nice to be talking to you. So they stop their conversation for a little bit on that, and they go back to their eating, and a little bit later on, the guy goes, Chuck, it's okay. I know how things work here in D.C. I know you're probably interested in something. What can I do for you? You're a nice guy. I really enjoy talking to you. And Chuck says, no, there is nothing. I'm just here for you, to know you, to care for you, and such. And the man, this powerful leader within Washington, D.C., just breaks down and starts crying, mm. weeping at that lunch table. That's the key. Yeah. And and that's that's been the difference. No one's going in that building with that idea. No there are very few of like us, that. yes. There right. are very few of us. Uh, George Whitfield, a great evangelist in the 1700s, wrote this. If we consider how heavy the burden of government is and how much the welfare of any people depends on the zeal and godly conversation 
conversation of those that have the rule over them, if we set before us the many dangers and difficulties to which governors by their station are exposed and the continued temptations they may be under to luxury and self-indulgence, we shall not only pity, but pray for them. And it's part of imagining, as we're coming down to the end of our time, five others when we stop, right? Oh, okay. So I have a couple moments for the king's yep. heart. Okay. So is is prayer. The, the changing. And, and Teddy, you're exactly right. And that's what had to get sunk. It still doesn't always stay there. But that's what needs to be sunk into my head, is that I don't have to be a great man. I don't have to be an influential man. I don't have to be a well-known man to be effective in this type of ministry, nor in the kind of ministries you have in your local communities, because they are greatly connected. We simply need to be faithful, because it is God who is working in us to will and to act according to his good purpose. And we are useful in his hands. He's given us his revelation, that we know him. His spirit is living in us and working through us. So let me just close with a couple quotes from The King's Heart, which is this book, and I, I can't recommend it enough to get it, and The Kingdom of Jesus. Living in the antithesis of the current world order. From the very beginning, the people of God have been in the minority among the peoples of the world serving as leavening, as a leavening agent of righteousness and goodness to the world. That's what we really are. We are that salt and light. Um, this is a quote that goes connects you with it. Solzhenitsyn wrote this. Let worse things come if they must, only not by me. That we would be the agents for God's glory. Instead, we will praise the Lord come what may. Praise, thanksgiving, rejoicing in our salvation, boasting about Jesus at every opportunity. These are the disciplines that prevent us from slipping into fear, doubt, and compromise with the world. That's connection with what we were studying in Habakkuk at the men's retreat. This is from the king's heart. The Christian community needs to rediscover its citizen, citizenship responsibilities in a nation that has separated from its historic moorings and is seeking new footing in the world. I'm not referring to our national citizenship responsibilities. Instead, I have in mind our obligation to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness so that everything else that falls into our stewardship portfolio can receive proper attention as well. That gives you a little bit of a taste of what this book is about. It's how do we live for the kingdom of God in the whole of our lives, and he makes some particular applications for dealing with our civil government. A mission statement. I can't remember, I didn't write where it's from, but I've been looking at different mission statements of different churches that I've been visiting. I'm not sure if this is ours. Prayerfully depended on and empowered by the, it sounds a lot like ours. Prayerfully depended on and empowered by the Holy Spirit in all of life, we will Joyfully praise God, sacrificially love all people in deed and truth, and faithfully proclaim Christ to the glory of God and for the good of our neighbors. 
It's not the same. It's not ours. It's close. It is. It is. Okay, good. I just didn't label it. I might not have labeled it because of that. But that's what I'm looking to do with NTS. The very thing that is our mission statement here. And I have one from Providence Presbyterian Church. It exists to make disciples and work to see every man, woman, and child in the world trusting in Jesus. This is Providence in New York. To accomplish this, we will engage in relationships with people who are new to us. Equip each other to love and serve Jesus Christ. Empower one another to own and expand our ministries. That's a really good one. Here's one from the King's Heart again. We cannot not participate, especially not in a nation whose founding document begins with, we the people of the United States. We are intrinsically involved in politics, but we do not have to be inextricably ensnared. If we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness in all our political as well as other activities, we may hope to realize more of the righteousness, peace, joy, justice, and hope that kingdom promises regardless of what may be happening in the halls of our government. That's Habakkuk again. The sword of the spirit will clash with the sword of men. We need to expect that. When we speak the word of God, it will not always be received. It may be pushed back. It may be even hated and seen intolerable over the question of mankind's great hope. And we must be prepared to stand firm, taking the sword of the spirit joyfully into every arena of life. And uh, the kingship of Jesus, I'll close with this one. That's from this yellowish kind of book. Jesus is working for us even now, interceding, upholding the creation, sending out his spirit, building his church, and gathering his chosen ones as he advances his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. The kingdom of God is real. I'll bet spiritual power, and it exerts a transforming force for righteousness, peace, and joy in the spirit wherever it extends. Nothing could be more glorious, more filled with joy and adventure, or more completely satisfying to the human spirit than to participate and practice the kingship of Jesus within and for the realm which he is spreading all over the world. Let me close in prayer. Thank you. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this nice time to be together with my brothers and sisters in Christ. And I ask, Lord, that you would work in us. Take us wherever you need us to go. Fill us with that which we need to understand. Keep us ever confident in you, willing to wield the sword of the Spirit, no matter what response we get back. Keep us faithful. Keep us disciplined and determined to serve you and you alone. Through Christ our Lord, I pray. Amen.